Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And guess what happens? We answer your financial questions on the air. Joining me once again, back from a leisurely vacation, Damien Dunn. Hey, Pete. Hey, Dame. Welcome back. Is your chair warm? Uh, uncomfortably so. That is a creepy question. Chad Force was here last week. Did a good job in your in your absence. He did. Uh, Dame, I got a question so good this week. Not only have I not told you what it is because it, it's my favorite question ever on the show, but I called the director of financial literacy at Indiana University, our good friend Phil Schumann, and he's actually on the phone too because uh, Phil, hello. Hello. All right, Phil. So I have told neither of you this question, but I'm I. A little- you are you scared, Dame? I I hate surprises. So here's the thing, guys. I'm just gonna unleash this on you, and I'm gonna step back, and I'm gonna let you have at it for a little bit. Okay, uh, guys. This is from an emailer from Columbia, the country, not uh, not the university, not the Ivy League school. Okay. Uh, Dear Pete, I bought and read your Money Life Your Twenties book and found it fascinating. Wow. Okay, so I just had to get the compliments out of the way, guys. Just roll with it, Phil. Uh, Naturally, okay. I just have one question. I have student loans in the debt category, and in order to calculate my net worth in a fairer way, should I also consider my university title as an asset in value for the whole price I paid to go to college? Thanks a lot, and I will continue following your advice. Alvaro from Colombia. Guys, should people take their college degree and put it in the asset column of their net worth? And if the answer is no, why not? Go. I'm going to sit back and drink a Mai Tai. Phil, there was pointing on this side of the phone. He was, he was very, very emphatic at the no. It, so. Phil, is that not a great question? That is a, that is a fantastic question. And I, and I will throw this out because when you buy something with money, I mean, when you're getting something with money, you're claiming some sort of asset. You're getting some sort of asset to go along with it. So is that not the case here with a higher ed degree? It's just not a physical asset, right? Right. I'm I'm just going to play devil's advocate until I finally weigh in. Uh, but Dame, what do you think? You're looking at me like my head is on the floor, detached from my neck. No, he. You should not put it in that column. It, Why? How is he going to monetize it? There's, it doesn't have a value unless you use it. How about you? How, what about this? You can't consider something an asset unless you can and are willing to sell it. Well, that's another thing that you, I mean. There's, there's nothing you can do. It, it's, it's knowledge at this point, and it, it can benefit you in the long run. That's absolutely been proven to have a college degree. You, you make more. But if you go to college, and let's say you. Hit the lottery and you don't win. Is that still an asset, Phil? By the traditional sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm in the same boat as Damien here. I don't think it is because yeah, you can't monetize it. You can't sell it. The value of a higher ed degree is not like it, it's not the 
Like, you can't sell that piece of paper for anything. It opens doors. I mean, that's the value of a higher ed degree. It's providing the opportunities to make you more money. It doesn't automatically mean you get more money. Um, you know, we tell people we treat higher ed, you know, higher ed is an investment in yourself. And that investment's only going to pay off through other means of getting jobs or other opportunities or things like that. But you can't, I don't think you can call that a physical asset in your name that contributes to your net income or net worth. All right, Dame. So what are the things that specifically make this not an asset? You can't resell it, right? Um, What else? It's intangible nature is not in itself disqualifying because there are a lot of things that are intangible that are true financial assets like Bitcoin. So uh, let me make sure we all understand that a college education is an asset, but oh. not for what we're talking for, not a net worth countable asset. All right. How about my good looks? Yep. Who is that supermodel that insured her legs or whatever for $10 million? I, uh, Tina Turner you know, insured her legs at one point. I, you seem to know a lot about women's legs, Damien. Well, uh, Phil, <laughs> wasn't that a little quick? Would you not have paused more if you were Dame? <laughs> I thought so too. I mean, I don't want to make the whole show about Dame and his creepiness, but he was like, I have got names. I I could still be on vacation. (laughs) What's the policy number of that policy, Dame? (laughs) Okay, but answer that question. Phil, if 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 Tina Turner, according to Damien the leg guy, (laughs) if if Tina Turner's got her legs insured for ten million dollars, that that's an asset. Does that is that a net worth asset? Her legs. She insured the asset. Yeah, but you but you can't insure your higher ed degree. Like, or at least I don't know how a person would go about doing that. You've got a degree, and then you're going to insure. I guess the only way you can insure it is if the institution that you got that degree from goes under, and somehow you need to prove that it's still worthwhile or something along those lines. But no, I, mean, I, I don't think there's anything to insure there. What you did in order to accumulate that degree that asset or whatever is go through the motions over those four years to you know got your grades all that kind of stuff and so that degree is always going to be worth that there's really nothing to insure it against so i like once you have the degree you can't lose it i wish you could see the look on Uh damien's face right now he's about to unleash something no i was just thinking you know that's a that's a really interesting concept about being able to insure your college degree or your experience if if you went out and spent I just about broke something, but that's all right. If you went out and spent $80,000 on your education and ended up not being able to use it for whatever reason. That is an interesting If insurance. you could insure. We just came up with a business, or you did. But, or, yeah. or, or having a, a, a you know, colleges are all about placement. Sure. And if they can't place you in a job that leverages your degree within 12 months of graduation, now, maybe you're a horrible interviewer. There's nothing that they can really do too much about that. But, man, wouldn't that be something if you could get an insurance policy to pay a fraction of that back to you? Phil, is there anything like that? Oh, I, not that I'm aware of. It's a, I, like now standing here thinking about it, that is a very intriguing idea. I mean, obviously, the, the issue, and you kind of alluded to it there, Damien, is there are so many other variables in there. Oh, yeah, sure. Like what, what, what happens if the person just doesn't apply themselves and doesn't go out for jobs or anything like that? 
but it's interesting to say, like, okay, given the market, if you've got this degree, all of a sudden you go out there, you apply for all the jobs that you think you're qualified for at that point, but the economy is such or just whatever is such, or maybe you have some sort of injury that prevents you from being able to utilize that degree to a certain extent. Um, I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I guess that's kind of an interesting perspective on this. Or maybe it's just simple forgiveness from the, from the, edu- from the institution itself. Ooh. But no school would do that. I mean, right, Phil? No one would do that. I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question. I'm not qualified I'm, to answer I, I, any I, I, question. I, like, I guess it wouldn't be the institution forgiving you anyway, because they're not the one that's holding the debt on your. Yeah, it'd be the federal uh, government. It'd be the federal government. But For, I, I wouldn't. I like what I will say is I wouldn't put it past somebody to try and figure out a way to make something like this happen. I mean. You know, higher ed right now is full of innovation and people trying to, to think about how they can get people in the door, focus on getting their degrees and providing that some sort of protection. Um, because, I mean, we do have the issue of affordability and student loans and all those things. Is there something we can provide to the consumer out there that makes them feel a little bit more, you know, safe and protected by what they're trying to do uh, with their education? Phil, can you hang on for another segment? We got like twenty seconds left, and I, I still have questions. I'm I'm here for as long as you need me. Okay. So wow. Hmm. Can you? I know, okay. right? All right. Here's what we're gonna do. Coming back for the break, we have the director of financial literacy, Phil Schumann from Indiana University. We got Damian Dunn, uh, our genius here, and we're gonna figure out is an education an asset? All that and more next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show, uh, we we are chock full of geniuses today. Uh, we have two, and we have Damian Dunn, director of personal financial strategies at Your Money Line, who's waving. Hi, everybody. Why did you just wave? Because it seemed like the right thing to do. This is an audio medium. Phil Schumann, director of financial literacy at Indiana University, joins us via Steve Jobs's creation. Very nicely done. Well, did, yep. did Steve, Steve Jobs? Did he did not actually? invent the iPhone, right? Was, was Do we know that it was his idea? I feel like sometimes he's credited with it. I don't know. I mean, at the very least, I think he's part of the idea structure behind it being invented. Uh, but I'm guessing he had other people put it together for him. What an asset. Okay, what we're talking about here today, we got a question from a guy named Alvaro. Uh, I assume Alvaro is a male name, and now I feel bad. I'm pretty confident it is. Alvaro, I'm sorry. All right, Alvaro, his question is, is his college degree an asset he can include on his net worth? Because the debt is included on the debt section of net worth. And, and you know, at first thought, the answer is an obvious no. No, it's not. But you dig a little deeper. It is an asset. A college degree is an asset. And you start to think, okay, if you make a purchase in something and, and then you have a debt to it, but then that asset creates the ability to make money, is it not a physical asset? I'm going to give you a really tawdry example here. Let's say that I continue my exotic dancing career deep into my 50s. Phil, are you with me here? Uh, <laughs> Maybe not with you. but Let's say yeah, Phil and I, I both. I mean, we're, I, I... we're a dance duo. That's that's unique. You might have some traction there. Phil, it, it, just work with me on this, Phil. Phil, you and I are on stage together. 
and we're great. We, we have a lot of chemistry and we get people excited. But you and I both decide that we need some enhancements done under the knife. <laughs> Phil, just relax. It's going to be okay. If, here. Yeah, if we do that, and it improves our ability to go earn money, but we take on debt with those enhancements, on some level, isn't that the same thing as getting a college degree? Phil, if you go get uh, you know, an enhancement surgery for your exotic dancing career, you are basically got a college degree, no? <laughs> are you gonna have to clear? Sorry, are you gonna have to clear this appearance? Just gonna have to take a minute in order to process everything that just happened in my head. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. I, I, I think on the on the surface, yeah, I, I, I actually think you're right. On the surface, yeah, this may, this makes sense. Like there's an asset that you're getting out of this as a result of that debt. The the issue is that how does one quantify that? What it's worth? Um, and I guess it. I mean, it provides opportunities for further work, but it's that further work that's going to be the asset or the income that's associated with that further work that's going to be the asset. The, the legs are just the means of getting there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Phil. Very nice. Come on. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so let, let's go back. I'm going to try to get serious for half a second here. Back when I was a financial advisor and people would try to say that this is an asset or that is an asset, you know, my thing was, is there a market for it? Is someone going to buy it and own it outright, not rent it or use it for services or anything like that? Is, is someone going to own it outright? And so you start to look at, well, is my engagement ring that my husband gave me an asset? Well, yes, if you're willing to sell it. And, and, and so it is. A college degree... No one else can take possession of it. And I think it's transferring possession that makes the answer to Alvaro's question no. Mm-hmm. And I think actually as you try to get creative with your net worth in general, you have to do that. And that's also why I don't believe a car is worth listing in your net worth because it is a depreciating asset. So eventually it's an asset that has no value to it. Oh, I should say that differently. Uh, that has no monetary value to it, but it can still hold value in the sense that it leaves someone with transportation with no car payment. So then it's, it's helping you make money? So aren't we right back to the same conversation? Phil, can you talk him down? I feel he's looking at me judgmentally. He, he got a little rest on a vacation, and all of a sudden he's real snappy. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm just I was with my kids. No, no, that's why you're the expert here. I mean, you're representing the entire world of academia right now on the radio all right so before we went to the break we did come hit on this interesting concept could there ever be a scenario in which a university because of you know their obligation i say with air quotes to place students in the workforce could there ever be some sort of indemnity or insurance situation that says if you can't get placed, we're going to waive the cost of your college degree. And, and Phil, you said that you know a lot of schools are trying to push the boundaries and limits of of creation when it comes to stuff like this. So, so that's not crazy, right? Well, so, so I think there's a couple things here, and I think Damian touched on it a little bit. From what I would understand, you know, the institution itself can't do a whole lot because they're in, in, the, in the for the most part, they're not the ones issuing the debt. 
So you'd have to be, you know, it's the, it's the government or it's the private lenders or something along those lines that would have to provide that sort of protection should something happen to the institution. Um, and and honestly, like, I mean, we have seen things similar to this with some of the lawsuits that have come up against some of the for-profit colleges that have shut down and people that have taken out lots of student mm-hmm. debt. I think it's like the Corinthian colleges mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I mean, there have been lawsuits filed through the CFPB, you know, through the government, whatever you want to say, of people saying, well, now that this institution is shut down and I'm stuck with all the student debt, that's not fair because, you know, my assets, my degree is worth nothing, basically. So what do I do? So, I mean, I I guess in some respects, we're already, we're talking on something that sort of exists already, just not necessarily to the extent of what I think we're trying to get at here. So I've I've done some some real basic research into uh, what another fine state institution in, in Indiana is doing, Purdue, with their, their new um, arrangement where the student agrees to some income sharing after they graduate to pay back some of the, the debt they take out. I think this might be a potential option for an arrangement like that, right? Because then the, uh, the contributors to the fund that, that uh, fund that, uh, that student's education they'd just be out of a a return in that case, correct? So if Purdue were to say, okay, if if we can't place you, we will waive uh, 25% of your tuition. It's, it's not the educate, it's not the, the investor that takes it, but Purdue would have the ability to say, okay, you don't owe us that anymore. And it's the investor that would take the hit. Yeah. And I mean, from how I've read some of the income share agreements, and stuff that are out there. I mean, that is kind of how it's set up. It says basically we can start taking X percentage of your income when you start making more than Y salary per year. So, I mean, there is, at least from what I understand, there's already some of that protection already in there. Hmm. Um, and I mean, technically you could go that that already exists too with, um, with student loans, although it's, it's not as great, but I mean, with student loans, you'd have the option of like, forbearance or, you know, just putting off payments, income-based repayments, right. all that kind of stuff. There are those types of protections that are in there should your situation not be as golden as you'd like it to be relevant to your degree. You know what's better than forbearance? Five-bearance? Five yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, yep. Phil and I are actually going to be in D.C. together this week uh, uh, at a higher ed thing. Phil, something tells me we shouldn't take our stage show to Georgetown uh, on Monday night. <laughs> Not without the enhancements. That's a good point. <laughs> How uncomfortable I mean, what, are you? What I, will, what I will say is we will stand out from the crowd, which might be a good thing. That's true. Because uh, really, I mean, we might want to be the bells of the ball and you know, have people pay attention to us. <laughs> <laughs> Phil just made me hearty laugh. <laughs> All right, Phil, I have 20 seconds left, and I, I have to say this to you. Thank you so much for being a part of this, and we're very sorry what this is going to do to your career. Uh, that's fine. I've been planning for it for a long time. Uh, <laughs> I have insurance that gets my degree, or at least I'm going to get some here pretty soon. Phil Schumann, thank you very much. Damian Dunn will be back after the break on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Planner show. Uh, it's always good to have Phil on, right? I love Phil. During the break, we asked the question at the beginning of the second segment: Who invented the iPhone? Damien, you, you've done some research during the break with the Google machine. Who was it? Yeah, it looks like there's actually 25 people that are credited as being inventors of the iPhone. So, really, it, uh, yeah, I, 
you know, most of these people, actually 24 of them, I've probably never heard of before, but Steve Jobs is one of the people that is right. credited. If they, it was an iPod first, and then they just threw some stuff into it to make it a phone, and there you go. All right. Um, Dame, next question. By the way, if you want to email us your question, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's askpete, PeteThePlanner.com. This one is from Anonymous from Michigan. I think mm-hmm. it's Greek. Uh, hi, Pete. I'm really enjoying your show. Wow. All right. Next question. No. It was recommended to me to my colleague, and I'm looking uh, forward to new shows every week since then. Oh, my gosh. Your colleague. My mother-in-law recently passed away, and we're going to receive a small inheritance of $30,000. Damon and I would both like to say to you, we're very sorry for your loss. Yeah. This is going to be a tough time for you and your wife. Very sorry. In honor of her memory, we'd like to use this money to do something that she loved doing with our kids. New clothes shopping. Man, it sounds like my mom. My mom takes our kids (laughs) shopping for clothes all the time. She enjoyed buying a nice winter coat for them taking them to go back to school shopping, et cetera. It made her happy, and it made her kids happy. We'd like to keep that tradition alive even after her passing. Before we go any further, that is very nice. It is. That's really nice. You know, so often when people pass away, uh, as financial people, uh, we hear the phrase, well, it's what mom would have wanted us to do, or it's what dad would have wanted us to do. And it usually justifies something stupid, but this is this actually seems meaningful to me. Yeah. By the way, I, th- I think this is who you're going to be when you're a grandparent. You're going to be the, the grandpa that keeps the grandkids in, in fresh clothes all the time, aren't you? You think so? I think you are. I don't know. I you, don't even want to think about my children having children. You're fashion conscious. I, I, I can't I'm imagine. I'm fashion conscious? Moving on. Okay, that seemed like I should not have asked that question in that way. I was thinking of investing this money in a mutual fund with Vanguard that produces a dividend that would allow us to go on a quarterly shopping trip with each of our two kids. For example... We invent. <laughs> I always like when people give me an example. Like I get it. Like it's a good idea. Like, let's see what he has to say. Yeah. For example, we invest the thirty thousand dollars and receive a three percent dividend that would allow us to spend nine hundred dollars per year without tapping into the principal or the growth. Now I've never done this before, so I could be completely wrong in my assumption. What do you think of this idea? Do you have any suggested funds or types of funds to consider? Also, we're considering this inside of an UPMA, so taxes are limited given our kids are five and seven and don't have an income. What do you think of this idea? Okay, long question. Thanks for your time. Keep up the great work. Onunimus. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, okay, let's uh, structurally, what he's suggesting, does it make, can, can it happen? Can it happen the way he's suggesting? Possibly. I, first of all, I, I love the fact that he's not talking about just spending the principal and, and <laughs> totally wiping it out. Uh, while I, you know, having lost a parent at some point, I, part of me understands if that's what he would have said. I, that question or this scenario takes on a whole different feel when you after you've gone through it. Yeah. Um, what he's gonna have to balance though is is the risk that's gonna come along with investing those that money and knowing that three percent this year may not be three percent next year or or they're going forward. So he may not be able to get a three percent dividend. I mean, he is in tech. He is uh, f- not using dividend correctly per se, right? I mean, because it's not like a, an ETF through Vanguard is actually going to pay a dividend. It may have some income generation. Mm-hmm. And, and I just want to make that clear, not to bust the guy's chops, but it's not actually going to be a dividend. No, I mean... It could consist of dividends, yeah. but itself is not a dividend. It'll throw off some kind of income. And as long as you don't have it set to you know reinvest, then it'll build some cash accumulation that you'll be able to do whatever you want with. What I think is interesting is 
there are some online savings accounts now that are getting really close to knocking on the door of 3%. They're about two and a half right now. But I think there's no, but there's no upside to that. That would be my concern. Like they don't need the 30,000 bucks. So why not at least put it to risk and, and grab a little upside, grab a little income. So that gets back to what's the ultimate goal of this? Is it to honor your you know, mom and, and use the, the income that comes off of it for back to school shopping or, or clothes shopping, which fine, great, whatever. And making sure that you've got that there to use. Got that there. Got that there. Uh, after the kids graduate or, or whatever it is and not risk the principal. Or do you want to try and have some upside to be able to use for college or uh, maybe pay for a wedding down the road or buy a wedding dress if, you, if you're into, to, you know, your mom was into clothes, man, that'd be a really cool tribute to say that your their, their grandma bought bought the wedding dress for them. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, and I actually want next week on the show, I want to talk about investment objectives a lot, okay? Because it's a really interesting topic and you just bring it up there. What is the primary objective for this money? I would argue that the primary investment objective of this money is not buying clothes for your kids. I would view that as a secondary objective because uh, if the idea were to buy clothes for the kids, you would just buy clothes for the kids and and not care about the balance, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think the goal for this money is growth with a secondary objective of income, growth and income. And so I think if you actually don't need that money, I would get a growth and income fund and choose that whatever income is spun off, like Dame said, is not a reinvested amount. Or if you'd rather, because that's a choice you have to make when you set up an account. What do you do with uh, income or dividends? Mm -hmm. What do you do with them? You can have them go into the cash account that is going to be attached to this. You can have them mailed to you or Mm -hmm. deposited in your, your checking or savings account. Or... You can simply, at a set time of year, pop in there and just make a withdrawal. Dame, what do you think about the idea of doing this inside an UTMA and, and the tax implications of that? I mean, does that add any complexity to it? Uh, no. I, you know, If they want to do it inside of an UTMA, that's fine. It's... Can you easily take uh, withdrawals out of an UTMA like that? You know, I... I can count the number of UTMA accounts that I'd ever worked on. Or had, Me too. Had not many. And so I always thought they were sort of a pain in the neck, which I think they're meant to be because they're trying to sure. restrict access to, to adults going through money meant for kids. Yeah, but I, I, I don't even want to... I can't remember what the process and, and what the restrictions are. So, so. if you're going to do the UTMA thing, Anonymous, um, talk to a tax advisor about that. But theoretically... So, Dame, you don't have a problem with him going to find a low-cost ETF, maybe a growth and income situation, and... I, I find nothing wrong with that. I don't find it irresponsible. I find it clever, if we're being honest. Uh, and I think even theoretically, that $30,000, you know, it did pay for your kids' clothes for, you know, a decade. And then it'd be interesting if that also helps them, uh, you know, go to college or something like that. Yeah, I, I would encourage uh, Anonymous to define the objective, uh, the ultimate objective of the funds. Is, is it the, you know, the, the short-term-ish type stuff? Uh, what does he want to do with it long-term? Does he want to eventually gift some of the money to the, to the kids upon graduation to college or whatever it may be? And then figure out what it's going to take to get there. How do you need to invest that money? Is it, maybe, it's, maybe it is a simple savings account. We don't know. Maybe it's, as they said, uh, you need to assume some of that risk and get into the market in order to achieve that goal. So figure out what your ultimate goal is and then uh, 
invest it appropriately. I do have to admit, I really like when money tells a story, right? Here, here's a here's money mm-hmm. that can then become this really great family thing. Uh, and I'm not trying to compare my situation to this. However, my radio and income and my uh, newspaper income, I use that to save directly for my kids' college education. So someday we'll say, I did all that radio and wrote all those columns for you. Sure. No one liked any of it the entire time. Does that mean I'm helping pay for your kids' education? Damien, you are here right now putting my kids through college. And I better get a thank you card. Uh, I don't think there'll be handwriting by the time they get out of college. Will there be cake at the parties at least? You will be invited to the family party, even though you're not family. Not, not unrelated. How many times in the last seven days have you disclaimed our relation? At least three. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I've only done it once this week. We need to keep a master a tally, tally, and then yeah. every time we're on the show, we'll say how many times do we say we're not related this week. Uh, you and I are going to Chicago this week, yeah. in which I believe we will be forced to say that at least 10 times. Can we get a name tag for me made up that just says Damien Dunn, and instead of my title, it just says unrelated? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, all right, coming up after the break, I think we're the biggest waste of money of the week already, and some financial current events, a lot of those this week, and then a little more on uh, the Fair Oaks Farm thing. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is Michelle. Back on the Pete the Planner show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week is, Dane, before we get there, I got an interesting email from a a listener. Was it last week we talked about the Fair Oaks Farm situation? Uh, And my main comments were, it definitely affects, I'm trying to, you you just listened to the show, you were out. But my my, my comments were, it definitely affects how I feel about Fair Oaks Farm. Mm -hmm. But my bigger point that I want to make is I think it's actually going to get them in real big trouble. I think their brand is in, it is in big trouble, which will lead to financial trouble for them. And I got a, a really interesting email, a very thoughtful email from one of our longtime listeners who is a farmer. And he said, you know, this is a tougher situation than, than you might think because it's essentially some farmhands that made these decisions and uh, created this just massive controversy and problem for Fair Oaks Farm. And he empathizes with the the farmers and the owners of the farm itself. And I don't I don't disagree with that. <clears throat> but you and I were talking off air this morning about this. It still points to a major management mm-hmm. issue. And when lives are involved, even the lives of animals, that that's a bit of a problem. I, I don't want to be a Pollyanna because you and I don't understand commercial farming. No. You know? Yeah, I I think it's if you strip the farming aspect out of it and just picture it as a business in and of itself, every business ha- could have a potential issue like this. Every time you go in, think about this. If every time you got poor service at a, at a consumer mm-hmm. situation, that it shouldn't necessarily reflect poorly on the owner, mm-hmm. right? If I go to Papa John's and get a bad pizza, it doesn't mean Papa John's a bad guy. Mm. Okay, maybe that's a poor example. Mm. Let's say... <laughs> I good good choice. Thank yeah. you. No, but if I go to Dairy Queen, honestly, and, and I'm like, I'm trying. Where's my peanut butter parfait, Tyler? And Tyler's like, you can't have it, dude. <laughs> that doesn't mean Ms. Queen, the owner of Dairy Queen, right. is a jerk. Yeah. That just means Tyler was poorly trained. I get that. This week's biggest waste of money of the week is the Svord Carcass Splitter. 
handmade in New Zealand. They could use this at Fair Oaks. So, were they using Fair Oaks? That was going to be my next question. This traditional butcher's tool was recreated for a specific job splitting hanging animal carcasses in half. It's made from a single piece of 8670 grade high carbon steel, which then undergoes a differential tempering process that results in a very hard, sharp, impact resistant edge. The handle is built to last as well, made from black matte finish, macarta, and riveted using solid copper pens that were hand peened. <laughs> hand peened is the greatest. <laughs> well, I am hand peened. Like, I don't know what that means. The yeah. animal splitting monster is finished with a scabbard made from vegetable tanned hands. Oh, now you're using vegetables. What about all the carcasses you're about to split? <laughs> Thank God you didn't use. Uh... <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, this thing is. Uh... $500, and it's just, it is a weapon. It looks like a Game of Thrones type situation. Cool. Sign me up. Yeah. Dame, you had one? I do. Um, there are many reasons for a professional photographer or video editor to shell out thousands of dollars for Apple's new Pro Display XDR monitor. But only Apple would be arrogant enough to think anyone, professional or otherwise, should shell out $1,000 for a stand to go with it. You read that right. I read that right. I just spoke it right, too. $1,000 to hold upright the monitor you just spent, by the way, five dollars to $6,000 to purchase. It tilts. It rotates. It raises and lowers. What more could you want? Yeah, so six grand, or sorry, five to six grand for the monitor itself, and then another thousand bucks to hold the monitor, to hold it in front of your face. Uh, as we look around our studio here, I, I think of all the things that are being used to hold things. Behind you in the corner and the, the uh, video part of the studio, you will see a cardboard box turned on its end holding up a LED light. And here is a wine box holding up another LED light right here. So needless to say, spending $1,000 for a stand doesn't make a lot of sense. Seems a little stiff. Uh, Dame, this week in current events, uh, there's a story came out. I think the grammar was poor there. Uh, on CNBC.com, options are few for storm-ravaged homes with insufficient insurance. Standard homeowners insurance does not provide coverage for flood damage, whether caused by a hurricane or another weather event. Dame, we've been dealing with so much flooding and rain around this great land of ours. Uh, people are dealing with this hard reality that uh, unless they have flood coverage, uh, they're in trouble. They, they've lost things, and insurance is not going to cover it. Yeah, and a lot of people uh, don't realize that most homeowners insurance has a very, very minimal coverage for any type of flood in insurance or flood coverage, and usually it just has something to do with the, the basement, uh, you know, so, something flooding the basement. So, After Hurricane Harvey in 2017, Dame, the average FEMA grant for individuals was $7,000, while the average claim through the National Flood Insurance Program was more than $100 thousand dollars so if you have flood protection you got your claim paid you know in, in totality if you didn't then you just had to depend on fema to get you through yeah and occasionally it, you it's been a, a few years since my my neck of the woods has experienced a lot of flooding but i, I remember the government coming through and just saying Nobody's going to be able to live in that house ever again and buying them from the people. And it was a fairly unique circumstance, but I can't imagine. Well, it was unique for our, our, our area, but, you know, towns along the um, Mississippi River and whatnot, I, I think you know, maybe that might be part of you know, not unusual life for them. 
the Rolling Stones concert goers uh, get to get schooled on lifetime income from the Rolling Stones themselves. The Rolling Stones are set to go back on tour this month after Mick Jagger, who's 75, successfully recovered from heart surgery, uh, which means longer lives and longer careers are a new reality for maybe many baby boomers. And the Alliance for Lifetime Income is the sole sponsor of the band's U.S. tour, hopes to prompt concert goers to ask themselves that question, how much... Uh, or how long will my money long will my money last as long as I do? That's the question. So, could you say that an annuity will always provide you just a bad joke? What you want, but not what you need? I no, that's not quite right. Uh, try to tie in a Rolling Stones song there. It's, I want to be your beast of burden. Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it wasn't any better than mine. No, no, yours was actually good. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, if you think about that. Uh, Companies try to line up their sponsorship dollars with their audience. On some, have you ever been to a Rolling Stone? Are you a concert I, guy? I, I, I yeah, maybe one or two a year. I mean, not heavily, but That's I've, a con- I've been like two concerts in my life. Well, it's because you're. I don't like crowds and traffic. Yeah, exactly, and parking. parking. Yeah. Oh, parking. Yeah, and you can't scout the uh, the concession stand beforehand. You, so you, there's you not online, a, so yeah. you don't know what you can eat exactly. before you go. So the concerts do not line up well for a for moment you. there. I thought you were really helping me think through this. And then it occurred to me midway that you're making fun of me. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what's happening. This makes sense. The sponsorship deal though, right? Do you remember the uh, NASCAR race at the Brickyard a few years ago, mm-hmm. the Brickyard 400? Mm-hmm. I think the, the race before that, like the, which used to be the Bush series, I don't know what anything's are called mm-hmm. anymore. They basically called it the Diabetes 200 or something. Like really? Lily sponsored it, it was one of their insulin drugs. It was like the Diabetes 200. And I remember the time sort of, I'm not making fun of diabetes, but thinking that's a really specific group to target. Is it genius? Is it What is it for, for a, a company to say, all right, whatever fan base exists of, of this sport They've got a lot of diabetes. We're going to sponsor it and call it like the Diabetes 400. Do you remember? You don't remember I don't, that. I don't remember that. But I, I very specifically remember. I'm, I'm butchering the, the length, but yeah. the, it was called the Diabetes something. I was, I was always thinking, what a unique sponsorship. Yeah. I, I guess I had never thought about, you know, we're used to the typical types of sponsorships. or Beer, around, insurance. Th- things like that. But I, I, I never really started to consider non-mainstream or, or non-normal ideas for sponsorships is it's really kind of interesting to think about. Well, it always moves with the demographic that has the most money, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so who is your value audience? That's why you don't see a lot of like teen magazine 300s because typically teens aren't spending all those dollars, but you right. are going to see the diabetes 200. Dame, that's all we have time for this week on the show. Phil Schumann, director of financial literacy at Indiana University joined us. Always good to talk to Phil. He and I are going to tear it up and, the District of Columbia this week. Prepare thyself. Oh, man. I might even be back next week. Who knows? All right. Thanks again, Dame. Glad you're back from vacay. Let's do it again next week. Sending you good vibes, everybody, because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. And